You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Hebrews chapter 11 this morning, we're going to be looking and continuing this series, Epic. What men and women were able to accomplish through God's power and what, how exactly God used them as we look at this hall of faith, these people that were mightily used by God in the book of Hebrews. If you would be in prayer for pastor, um, they are away uh, for in England uh, this, this uh, week. Um, I think they saw some pictures. Maybe some of you saw them. I think they were having some type of jubilee. I'm not English. Um, I speak English, but I'm not English. Um, and so they're having a good time over there with uh, pastor's brother and their family and just enjoying uh, being away. So be in prayer for them um, just as they're over there traveling. And of course, as they come back, um, we appreciate just the opportunity for to have them to go and relax for a little while. Um, and I enjoy the opportunity to be able to come and preach to you this morning. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 uh, this morning. And an interesting passage um, in the book of Hebrews. We see here in the book of Hebrews people that are epic, um, people that made a great uh, difference for the cause of Christ and the kingdom of God, and for different reasons. And we've looked at many and great things they accomplished, but I find it interesting here in Hebrews chapter 11, the next man we're going to talk about and why exactly he was commended for his faith. If you will, look with me at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 22. Hebrews 11, verse number 22 says this, By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Gave commandment concerning his bones. For a minute this morning, I want to talk to you about this. One man named Joseph. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for God, your word. Lord, and how how much we need it. Lord, how much it inspires us. God, how you've given it to us in our own language to where we can read it, Lord, and understand it through your Holy Spirit's working. And God, this morning we take a look at the man by the name of Joseph and God, a man that you used mightily because of his faith. And Lord, as you speak about him in the book of Hebrews here, Lord, it says, because you gave commandment concerning his bones. And Lord, as we look into this and as we evaluate our own lives, Lord, and Lord, as we look to you for guidance and wisdom, God, I pray this morning that you would give me wisdom as I preach. Lord, that you would have me only to say what needs to be said. God, that you would give us each the understanding that we need to, Lord, evaluate our own hearts and lives. God, that you would use this morning's message, Lord, for your honor and for your glory. It's in Christ in my pray. Amen. A man by the name of Joseph, one man that made a great difference. There's a few years ago, a story that went around about a boy by the name of Nadan. Nathan Curry and his family was actually um, from Liberia, but because of civil war, they came over here to live in America. And this boy's name was Nathan, and he was 13 years old, five foot two inches tall, and weighed about 100 pounds. 
And this boy lived in, in Philadelphia, and his attackers, as he was attacked, teenagers larger than he was, outnumbered him seven to one. And as the story takes place, they dragged him through the snow for about 30 minutes, and they, they hit him, and they kicked him, and they, they beat him up, and they finally suspended him on a, a wrought iron fence, and he honestly never stood a chance. Now, he survived this attack, and probably would have faced more beatings from these people, except that one of the, be- the bullies filmed it and put it on YouTube. Always a smart thing that teenagers do. And the police saw the video, and the bullies were thrown in jail. But the story had reached the papers. Well, as many began to read about this story that took place, a staffer at a nationwide morning show read the account and invited this young man, Naden, to arrive and appear on the broadcast. And so they told his story, and they showed this video, and unbeknownst to him, though, the producer had also invited uh, some other citizens uh, to uh, this appointment, and in walked three huge men as the curtain opened. They were members of Naden's favorite football team, the Philadelphia Eagles. And so, uh, Desan Jackson here, you see in the picture, and of course, you see the large man, the lineman beside him there, um, sat down beside this boy, and not only signed a football jersey for him and gave him tickets, But he did this. He gave him his cell phone number and promised him, he said this, anytime you need us, I've got two linemen right here. And from that day on, this young boy was only a call away from his own personal bodyguards. Thugs would think twice before probably roughing this kid up at all, knowing that Naden had a promise that he could count on when he has football players on his speed dial. Today we're going to talk about promises for a few minutes, and our passage tells us this. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Now, when I first read this passage, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, if you've read the book of Genesis at all and the story of Joseph, I can think of at least three amazing stories that God could put in here talking about how amazing Joseph's faith was. He could talk about how Joseph had faith even when he was thrown into slavery by his own family. He continued to trust in God. He could talk about, hey, Joseph, when he was unrightfully imprisoned, still had faith in God. He could talk about how Joseph became second man to the Pharaoh, saved his own family from starvation, not just them though, but really almost the entire world. Tons of stories could have been plugged into this book of Hebrews here about this was the amazing Joseph and how he faithfully served God. But God didn't mention any of that in Hebrews. Joseph gets one verse in the book of Hebrews, and instead he commends Joseph for his faith because he gave directions about how his bones were to be handled. Uh, what exactly is that all about? I mean, I, I began to think about it in our terms nowadays. Now, whenever I work on a sermon, whenever I study for a sermon, I try to ask a lot of questions. Now, a lot of them are very foolish questions because I'm a very foolish person. But I try to ask questions about what exactly is going on. Why is this taking place? Why is he saying this here? And the first question that came to mind when I read this verse was this. Why would Joseph even bother? Why did this even matter to Joseph? I mean, why bother giving instructions about where and how he's going to be buried? I mean, when I die, I don't care where you bury me, how you bury me. You know why? Because I'm going to be dead. It's not going to matter to me at all. 
And so I thought, why is Joseph even bothering with this commandment concerning his bones? He's going to be dead. It's not going to matter to him at all, right? And so why does it matter? But it apparently mattered to Joseph. And what's amazing to me is it didn't just matter to one person here. Jump over to the book of Exodus chapter 13. It appears not only to have mattered to Joseph, but also to the Israelites. In Exodus 13, verse 19, Joseph is already passed here. And in Exodus 13, verse 19, it says this concerning, once again, Joseph's bones. So he's, di- he's dead at this point. In verse 19, it says this. It says, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Now, I don't know about you, but Moses is a pretty important person in Scripture, right? I mean, Moses was a pretty wise man because of God leading him. But it says Moses, the man that's leading the Israelites here, leading them out of Egypt, trying to help them. It says he takes the bones of Joseph with him. So apparently it meant something to Moses. And then in Joshua 24, verse 32, it says this, And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem in a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver, and it became an inheritance of the children of Joseph. This had to have some kind of importance here. I mean, they were going through a lot of work an effort to make sure they take the bones of Joseph. They talk about the specific burial plots or where they're placed. You know, it's interesting as you read in scripture, you see some different genealogies, right? And you see so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so died. And it never really says anything about they were buried here. They did this with the bones and they had these things take place. But something special was taking place here. Not just there in the book of Exodus, but even Peter, or sorry, Stephen in the book of Acts preaches a sermon where he specifically mentions this story. In Acts chapter 7, he says, Then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died he and our fathers and were carried over into Sychem, or Shechem, and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, the father of Sychem. And so we see over and over, this bones of Joseph thing was a big deal. Not just as Joseph gave the command, but it mattered to Moses and it mattered to the Israelites and it mattered even to Stephen as he preached here. So why did Joseph want his bones moved? Why was it such a big deal? It doesn't explain why, even though we can see that it is here. Well, Joseph answered this question in the book of Genesis when he gave instructions about his body. Turn over to Genesis chapter 50. And Joseph here gives these specific instructions about his body and how his bones were to be dealt with. Genesis chapter 50, we begin to see why this mattered so much and why it was such a big deal. Genesis chapter 50, and look with me at verse number 24. It says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from thence, from hence. So Joseph died, being an hundred and ten years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And so why did Joseph want his bones moved? Why was this such an important thing? 
to Joseph. It wasn't going to affect him at all, right? Well, he wanted that because God had given him a promise. God had given the Israelites a promise. And that is where we get our first point this morning is this. In the life of Joseph, a promise given. Every Christian, in order to live that that successful life, there are two facets to the Christian's life that are so important. The first one is this, a promise given. You read right there in verse number 24, he says this, And Joseph said, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore to Abraham to Isaac and Jacob. God promised Israel that they would have the promised land. It kind of goes with the name, right? The promised land. God had given these Israelites a promise of a land in the future that they were going to go to that would be their home to go back to the promised land because that's what God had promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants. And so Joseph intended to claim that promise. Joseph knew of the promise, and Joseph planned to acclaim that promise so much so that he said, I want you to take my bones because we are going to the promised land. God had given them this amazing promise, and God gives us promises just as well. He believed, that, he believed in the promise because he believed God would bring Israel back to the promised land because God had promised it already, and Joseph intended to claim it. If you ever go to Israel, or even if you go to a Jewish cemetery, it's an interesting thing that you'll see. And I found a picture of one when we typically go to a, a, a graveside, we, we have flowers or perhaps um, some different decorations that we put on. But when you go to a Jewish cemetery, many times this is what you'll see. You'll see stones placed on top of this, the, the, the headstone there. And according to a, a lot of guides and a lot of folks that have talked about Jewish history, the Jews lost the promised land centuries ago. We know that. But they regained their homeland in, in 1948. And it's a big deal for the Israelites to be back in the land, as they say. And so the stones on the graves were a declaration of, you are now a part of the land. Something that was so important to them. Joseph here did the same way. By commanding that his bones be moved back to Israel, back to Shechem, he was declaring this, I intend to be a part of the land that God promised. And what's amazing is this, Joseph was commended for his faith, not only because he believed in the promise, but because he acted like someone who believed the promise. Now, here's the deal. We're Christians, we serve a God of promises, right? As you look in scripture, you can see promise after promise after promise. The Bible is just filled with promises that God gives to us. And God calls us to believe upon those promises, and to live our lives as those promises, as we believe in those promises. It's not just a promise that we know, it's a promise that should affect how we live, and how we behave, and how we witness, and how we view our everyday life, just like Joseph did with God's promise centuries ago. God had given him a promise, God had given the Israelites a promise, and he believed it so much so that it changed not just the way he lived, but literally here, the way he died. It changed everything about his life. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. In other words, we have great promises in Scripture that should encourage us so that we end up living holy lives so that people around us will know that we trust in God. 
when we read the word of God and see his promises, it should change the way we live so that people see a difference in us. Trust in his promises so much that it should change the way we live our lives. And so what kind of promises do we have? Well, some of the promises aren't really encouraging. I'm going to have you jump around here a little bit, but turn over to John chapter 16, verse 33. As I mentioned, the word of God is full of promises, and obviously there's no way we could cover them in the amount of time we have this morning, unless you feel like skipping lunch, dinner, and maybe we'll have breakfast together. But John chapter 16 and verse 33, a promise that's given to us in verse 33, it says this, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Can I say it this way? That's a promise. Now, I don't have to preach on that. I could have everyone come up here and give testimonies of how in the world there's tribulation, right? There's promises given in Scripture that aren't necessarily the prettiest promises, but they're true. And John 15, verse 19, it says again, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now, I don't know about you, but as we've raised our children, you know, there's certain things you just don't want them to say. You know, we try to teach them, you know, if it's not nice, don't say anything at all kind of idea. But the word hate is something we just cannot stand our kids using. And maybe as you raise kids, it's the same way. You know, sometimes they'll say, I hate vegetables. And I can, I can understand that. I hate vegetables as well. There's nothing good about them. I was amazed. I was talking with uh, one of, I think it was actually uh, Brother Josh. I was talking with Jovi during our, our baseball game the other day. And uh, she was batting, and so I was trying to figure out something that she really did not like, um, thinking, you know, I'll, I'll say, hey, pretend the ball is that, and you can hit it really hard. And, you know, I asked her vegetables, and apparently she loves vegetables. At least she told me she loves her veggies. I'll that. She doesn't get that from you. And so, you know, I was trying to figure out what she didn't like, and the only thing she came up with for me was peanut butter, I guess, was something that she really does not like. And I thought, how can you not have, like, peanut butter in a PBJ, but she does not like it? And so I was like, you know, I could pick any vegetable, but I'd be like, yep, don't like it. But we don't use the word hate a lot. Maybe when we describe foods we don't like, perhaps, but we don't like our kids to use the word hate because hate is a terrible thing. Uh, Hate is something that we don't like to do at all. And yet here he says the world is going to hate you. Why? Because you're not of the world. Because you've been called and set apart. That's a promise that God gives. And so why is it sometimes that we're so foolish to believe that, hey, I can love God and the world's going to love me. Why do they treat me differently when I stand out and set myself apart? Not as if I'm better than anyone, but because I desire to live by God's laws, and yet it's clear, as Scripture says, the world is going to hate you. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you, and on their, on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Now granted, that's not exactly the promises that we want to kind of look forward to, the kind of promises that we want to hear, but God is honest with us. Isn't it great that we have a God that knows all, never changes, is perfect, 
and he tells us exactly what we need to know. Not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. And he gives us this promise that the world is going to hate you when you choose to stand for what is right. Christianity isn't always going to be an easy ride. And if we don't recognize that these painful and truthful promises are true, when life goes south, we begin to wonder what's wrong with us or what's wrong with God. And when in fact, when the world gives us tribulation and the world persecutes us, the fact is, is that all it is, is God's promises coming true. God's promise is true. Whether they be negative such as this one, or we have many positive promises to look forward to as well. These statements were God's way of saying, we don't belong here. And we always like to fit in, right? I don't know about you, but I always joke with my wife about, about fashion, and I always say, you know, I wore mismatched socks before they were cool. Um, you know, I don't worry too much about, about fitting in. I feel like uh, it's past me at this point. I mean, I, I work with teenagers, and I realize that I'm not cool, and I'm okay with that. Um, but so many times in this world, don't we just love to fit in? I mean, just to just have some smooth sailing. You know, you go to work, you do your job, maybe you keep your head down, you just kind of fit in, and everybody gets along with you. When the fact, the, fact, the matter of fact is here, this is not where we belong. And we can look at the negative of that and say, man, you know, I, I, really, I really enjoy this life, and I, you know, I have these good things going for me. And I wish, you know, things just went smoother. Or we can look to the forward to the fact that, man, I have a heavenly home to look forward to. A, 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 a place where I can go where there will be no sin, no sorrow, no dying, no pain. I'll be in the presence of God forever, singing praises to him. Something to be excited about. You know, that's what I love about when we begin to, 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 to sing worship songs here and we begin to worship, just to see the smile on people's faces, the practice that we're having right now, preparing for an eternity of singing unto him. And we don't belong here, but we have such a greater place to look forward to. This isn't our home here, we're just passing through. But God gives us other promises in Scripture that remind us that when life gets hard, He's still there and He still cares. He gives us promises that we can build our hopes on. Turn over with me to Psalm 23 for a moment. Many of us perhaps have memorized this psalm. I know the kids have memorized this psalm and we've worked our way through it as a family. Psalm 23 is a promise. It's not a promise made by me. It's not a promise made by David. It's a promise made by God. And look at Psalm 23, as David writes here, led by the Holy Spirit, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For, death, uh, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know about you, but as I read that, and as I hold on to that as a promise of God, in the midst of trial, in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of things that we don't understand, that just gives a peace. A peace knowing that that promise is faithful and true. 
Because God follows through on every single one of his promises. He's promised us that rest. And other verses throughout the Old Testament enforce that. Isaiah 26, 3, we're promised that that will keep me in perfect peace. How do you keep someone in perfect peace? Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Where does that perfect peace come from? It doesn't come from politics. It doesn't come from our 401k. It doesn't come from everybody liking me and my health being good. It comes from those who have their eyes and minds stayed on him. That promise of perfect peace in the midst of everything when we have our mind focused on him. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee. Neither forsake thee. Fear not. Neither be dismayed. I don't see any wiggle room in there for doubt. It says, no, neither. Definite's here. He'll be with thee. He's not going to fail you. He's not going to forsake you. Fear not, neither be dismayed. When God promises to be with you, that's a promise that you can count on. I remember a few years ago, it was before me and uh, my wife were married. We were, I think it was the day before her brother was to be married, and uh, she was in the wedding, and I had planned an exciting adventure for us. We were going to go skydiving. Now, I'm not sure how excited she was about it, but I remember she was asking different questions. She said, we're going to be in the same plane, right? I said, oh, absolutely, you know, I'll be attached to someone and you'll be attached to someone. And that was the way I thought it was going to go. And uh, I remember we got out there and we drove out there and then they began going through the course and everything. And then they said, all right, which one of you wants to go first? And I'm like, there is no good answer. Like, have her go first, you know. Yeah, yeah. She'll be the trial dummy. If everything works out, then I'll go. Or, 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 you know, or, or do I say, oh, you know, I'll go first. That way she can watch me fall out of a plane and have, her more, have more time to be concerned. And I thought, at that moment, I wanted to be with her. And I promised I would be with her. But it wasn't happening. How many times have we made promises in our own life that, hey, hey I'm going to take care of this for you? Husbands, hey, I'm going to make sure to put those socks in the, in, the, in the clothes basket. Hey, I'm going to make sure to take that trash out. I'm going to make sure to do this. I'm going to make sure to do that. And as much as we want to, fill, to, to, to fulfill our promise, we fail. Sometimes it's because of circumstances outside of our hands. Sometimes it's because we forget. Sometimes it's because things come up. Whatever the reason might be, we make promises sometimes and we fail to keep them. And yet he says here in the word of God, he'll be with thee, he will not fail thee. That's a whole lot better of a promise than me promising that I'm going to jump out of the same plane at the same time with her. It's a promise that we can count on. And listen, whatever it is that you're going through right now, he promises to be with you. And he's not going to fail you. It's a promise that we can depend upon. The promises of God are sure. Isaiah 40, verse 29 says, He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Our strength as Christians comes from who? From the Lord. And it's a promise that he gives to us, promises over and over. Turn over to Matthew chapter 11 with me. Christ here promised much the same thing in Matthew chapter 11. Christ here, as he speaks in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says this. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Christ says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest under your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We just sang about that this morning, didn't we? Those that are weary, heavy laden, have struggles going on, that feel like, I don't know how much longer I can deal with this situation. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor, and I will give you rest. Christ also promised this in Matthew 6, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Romans 8.28 carries it a step further. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You know, we love to use that verse and sometimes allow it to, to get taken out of context, but all things work together for good. You know, I always think about this equation. We think about things that we have going on in our life, right? And we think, you know, hey, I have this bill and that's not good. And I have, I have this issue and that's not good. And I always think about it as a, a, a baking recipe. I don't know about you, but, but I love cookies and cake and cheesecake and anything that involves a bakery at all, I think pretty much. And if you take a cup of flour and you eat it, that's disgusting, right? I mean, I don't know who would eat a cup of flour. That doesn't sound appetizing at all. You take three eggs, crack them open, and eat those. Well, maybe if you're, I guess, rocky or something, that might work for you. But not exactly a delicious meal, I think. of. Now, if you cook them up, it might not be bad. But three raw eggs isn't exactly something good. You know, you take a cup of sugar. Well, I guess that's what pixie sticks are, right, guys? So that, that, might, that might work. But you take an individual ingredient and try to digest it. It's not exactly very appetizing, but you mix those things together over time and heat, it becomes a cake or cookies, something delicious that we can enjoy. What God is saying here is all things work together for good. He's not saying all things are good. Listen, you go out today and you get into a car accident. I'm not going to say, hey, all things are good. You know, I got insurance to deal with now and all these different problems, and now I, don't, I can't get to work. And that isn't necessarily good, but he's saying all things work together for good. And here's what the hardest part about that is. It takes time. We live in a world and a society where time is a precious commodity, right? I, I, mean, I don't know about you, but I wish there were 28 hours in a day. That way I could get a little bit more accomplished. But if I had 28 hours, I still wouldn't get everything done that I want. Time is a commodity and something that we just, something that we don't like waiting in this world. We know we want, we want our fast food. We want, we want our, 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 our burger zapped. We want, you know, that microwave idea of Christianity of, you know, I say, God, I'm ready to do this. And then boom, it's there. And yet when all things work together for good, it's in his timing. But he promises that all things work together for good, not just for everyone, though, he says, for them or to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Those are the ones, that he says, all things work together for good. He's not asking for you to be perfect. But he says, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. All of us are called, right? All of us are called to be set apart. God has set us apart for a reason, to be different, to be separated unto him. To them that love God, all things work together for good. And I know it's easy to say, but it wasn't just me that said it, it's God. 
All things work together for good. And in fact, Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us that we have a reason to live. He says we have a purpose in our lives. Listen to this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. What, what is that saying? It's saying this. You matter. God is saying you, not you all, you as an individual matter to God. We like to speak in large terms. It's easy to stand up here and say, all of you matter because I just think of you as one large group. But I can tell you this, God thinks of you as an individual person. God knows your uniqueness, your traits, the number of hairs on your head for some less than others. God knows you as a person and he looks at you as an individual with your faults, your failures, your weaknesses. And he says, you matter. You are important to him. But why do you matter? It's easy to say you matter, but why? I, I saw a meme on Facebook because I'm old and that's what old people do is look at Facebook. It said this, you matter, you are important, you're loved, and your presence on this earth makes a difference whether you see it or not. And that's pretty much all it said. And when I read it, I thought to myself, someone's going to ask this question, why? And it's, you know, it's great and it's encouraging, kind of motivational to say, hey, you matter, you're important, but why? Why do I matter? Why am I important? Who is it that loves me? And because of that, we're left to wonder, who cares? And the meme just assumes that you'll instinctively know that somebody must care. I mean, there's someone out in the world that cares about you and that everybody has value and that's true and that everybody matters. But in a world where people are measured by things like their beauty, or their influence, or their wealth, or their power, a lot of people get left out because I don't have any wealth or power or influence or anything that I feel like I can contribute to society, really. And so this must not apply to me. And they end up saying, I don't think I matter. I don't think I'm important. I can't believe that anybody would love me. But God says, I do. You matter to me. You're important to me. I love you even if nobody else does. He displays it in Scripture. If you look at John 3.16, for God so loved the world. God didn't just love the world as a whole. He loved the world of individual people. He didn't just say, I love the world. though. He followed through on it and he showed it, that he gave his only begotten son. His one and only son, he gave because of his love. I can say this morning here in this room, I love you, but I can promise you, this is a promise that I can't follow through on, that I don't love you enough to give up my children. And I have four of them. I mean, if I got rid of one, I still have three left, you know, it wouldn't be too bad. But I don't love you enough to give up one of my kids. And yet God here says, I love you so much that I'm going to give you my only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it's because God gave his son to die in our place that we know that he loves you and I. He didn't just say it, he showed it. And that's why he's given us a promise. But these promises that God gives will not change your life until you reach the second point this morning, and that is this, a promise believed. 
You know, I talked about Joseph here this morning and the promise that he was given. And it would not have mattered the promise he was given until he chose to believe it. Promises should change our life when we believe them. These promises aren't going to change your life until you believe them. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preached to the crowd who realized that they had crucified the Messiah. Turn over to Acts chapter 2 and look as Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost here and see the reaction by these people as they hear this message preached. Peter's here preaching. Look at verse number 37 in Acts chapter 2. So Peter preaches this crowd. They realize they've crucified the Messiah. And they ask this question in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. They realized what they had done. And it says here in verse 37, they asked, what shall we do? Question mark. And I feel like that, because grammar isn't inspired, you understand, I feel like there probably should have been some exclamation points around that. They realized what had taken place, and they said, what should we do? It wasn't like, oh, what should we do? These men realized, and women realized, what they had done. and said, what in the world are we supposed to do? And Peter gives them the gospel. Peter gives them the promise. He says, hey, you realize what you've done? He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. He says, what to them after that? For the promise is unto you. We have the promise that if we believe in Jesus Christ, repent of our sins, we have the promise that God will forgive our sins. And then we have the promise that his Holy Spirit will come to live inside of us. And because of that promises, all of the other promises are ours as well. Peter says, you have the promise that even though you've messed up, you've made mistakes, you've failed, you crucified the Messiah that if you repent and believe upon Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, you too can be saved for eternity and have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And just as real as that promises, the rest of the promises in Scripture are ours as well. And Joseph, when he was given the promise and had heard of the promise of the promised land, he chose to believe it. You know, it's interesting, we look at the life of Joseph, and when, between when Joseph dies and he's given instruction on how his bones are to be handled, and when they actually enter the promised land, it is hundreds of years. It is quite some time before they ever get to the promised land. You know, sometimes when God gives you a promise, it's going to be a while before you see it to fruition, but you have to choose to believe it anyways because God is faithful. Listen, that person that you've been praying for for years to accept Christ, maybe 10, 20, 30 years, and it seems like they haven't made any change at all, God is faithful. Continue to have faith and trust in him. The promises that God gives to us as we read his word are true, but the only way they're going to change our lives at all is if we choose to believe in him. 
That is, if we choose to believe in that promise that is given. Joseph here is commended for his faith. Not in that he trusted God when he was sold into slavery, although he did. And it's a great example of faith. Joseph is commended for his faith, not because when he was wrongfully imprisoned, he still trusted in God. Although what a man of faith to have two strikes go against you when you're just trying to serve God faithfully and still continue to trust. That's not what's spoken about here. Joseph is not commended for his faith when he had a plan for the rest of the world not to starve. And yet even then, it was based upon his faith in God. You remember telling me, me telling you that when I die, I don't care where people bury me. You know, I know there's, and, and that's you know, very true. I don't care because I, I'd be dead. But that's not the real reason. The real reason I won't care where you bury me is because wherever you put me, it's going to be temporary. Wherever you put me, it's only going to be for a season. I don't intend to stay there because God's given me and you another promise. Just like Joseph knew his bones would be moved, I know that my bones are going to move too. And I know that because I have a promise given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. He says this, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this, in, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And to that I say, Amen. We have to all remember, we're not better than the others in this world around us. We're simply those who have accepted better promises that the world can offer. And my question for you this morning is, are you believing in the promises of God? Are you believing that when you read the word of God and see the promises that he gives to you and I, are you believing them? Are they changing the way that you live your life? Joseph was commended not for the physical act of saying, hey, this is where I want you to put my bones, but he was commended for his faith because he trusted in the promise that God had given him, so much so that he followed through on every detail on what God had promised. And I don't know about you, but I look at my life and I look at my heart and I say, how many times has God given me a promise? And, and he's always faithful and yet I doubt. And I shy away from his word. And I shy away from what he's called me to do. Be in the word of God where you can read his promises, but believe them because he is faithful and true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning, Lord.